Welcome to Don't Die Before You're Dead. I'm your host, Mary McCartney, and this is the place where we talk about all things related to living the life we are meant to live. And of course, how do we do that? Well, we need to have a plan. We need to have a goal. We need to take care of those things that are important so we can. So welcome my guest this evening, Dr. Scott Lear, a professor at Simon Fraser University out in British Columbia, where he conducts uh, research on prevention and maintenance of heart disease. So I've asked Dr. Scott if he would be kind enough to join us and to talk primarily about how important sleep is, and I'm sure there's tons of overlap, and I'm looking forward to con- to the conversation, Dr. Scott. Um, so welcome to the show, and I appreciate you taking the time out of what must be an exceedingly hectic schedule for you. Oh, well, thanks a lot, Ray, for uh, having me on the show, and, and it'll be a pleasure to chat. Well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Now, right off the top, I, I will mention your blog. It is absolutely fascinating, drscottlear.com. And your blog has all kinds of information, not just on sleep, but all manner of things related to healthy lifestyle, which is your expertise. That's what you aim to be teaching, correct? Yeah, yeah. And I started the, the blog about um, three and a half years ago. As uh, as a professor, we spend we do spend a lot of time writing, but um, some of it is kind of dry writing, <laughs> and so I've always, you know, enjoyed reading something that's written well. And there was a couple of things that kind of got me into doing the blog, and one was I was on a sabbatical and wanted to set some goals for myself. The other was that I had started developing some exercise-induced palpitations. And I was kind of thinking as I went through the diagnosis and stuff that realizing, too, that I can write a great research paper or what I could consider great, and it would be in a a really good medical journal, but nobody's going to read it. Not many lay people, the the public, the general public that I'm trying to reach and and just as as you are, and, and... kind of saying, okay, well, this is what we found about physical activity or healthy eating or, or whatnot. Uh, and so I thought writing the blog would be a way that I could take some of the work that I do, some of what I've learned, and, and also my kind of personal experiences dealing with it and provide it, put it out there so it's easily accessible for other people. It was very digestible. And I must apologize for the crazy dog that lives in this house. I, I've tried to buffer, but, you know, being what it is, I'm sorry. I hope it's not too distracting for you or our listeners. Um, what I did enjoy about your blogs is the ease of reading. So you addressed that right off the bat. I am an educator. I did go through the academics uh, and do realize that some of it can be a little bit snoozy, if you will. I liked your blogs for the matter that um, it is easy to read, easy to digest. The terms, you know, not overly jargony, but it pulled me along. So a lot of times we want information, but it's hard to get through it all. So, you know, I'd like our our listeners to know that I think you've accomplished that in a very real sense. You also have added some graphics that are very attention-getting. So, Good for you for taking that time to be able to consider the readers. Now, as a professor at the university, you're doing research. What does your day kind of look like? What What are you primarily doing through your process of of um, as an as a researcher, perhaps, and an educator? 
Yeah, a fantastic question. And, and glad you asked because actually don't get asked that much. Most people <laughs> assume, oh, you're just uh, teaching just like a high school teacher, but bigger classes. For for my position, it's, it's mainly focused on research. So I, I do in-class teaching, but only one term out of the three per year on average. Now, my day over, as with anybody's career, my day has changed over the years. When mm-hmm. I first started, it was... I was actively working with study participants and met maybe measuring blood pressure, asking them to fill out questionnaires and so forth. And as my program started to grow, I needed to have more graduate students and hire staff because I couldn't be everywhere at once. So a lot of my work now is, I guess for lack of a better term, it's a lot of it's high level management um, uh, project development. So the research ideas that we do, I'll generate, I'll search, I'll write grants to, to search for funding. Then we get, uh, the, if we're successful, we get the funds. I'll manage those funds. I have a staff person who helps with the, with the budgeting and, and things. And then when it comes to the results, uh, we'll, if it's a student, I'll work with them. They'll write the paper. They'll get uh, primary recognition for it. But a lot of the times now, it's about guiding the process, uh, whereas before it was more about being in the trenches doing that process. But now it's uh, a lot more, what I'd say, administration management, spending time in, in front of a, a computer and doing a, a lot of writing and uh, listening to my staff and students and responding and giving them feedback. Do you miss the being in the trenches or is this sort of a new journey? So sometimes careers can get a little stale doing the same old, same old, but it's always nice to have a different focus, a different change and kind of a a new direction. So, you know, have you found that the the research aspect has become uh, more engaging for you? Like it's just a, a little bit more removed from the actual working in the classrooms with the students. So, um, do you miss some of that? Yeah, so I I did went did go through a stage when I was kind of uh, taken back from the the front line where I wasn't seeing the study participants, and I would see when I was doing the front line stuff, I would see you know on a couple of days a week I might see between five and ten whether they're patient research participants or community research participants. And um, I, I did miss that. Now, like I'm still, because I still have the in-class teaching, I, I, um, it's not a lot, but I still have that. And that actually derives um, some of that uh, FaceTime pleasure. But now I've started to get um, uh, pleasure, as with a lot of my colleagues, in how the people who are working on my program, my students or staff, and seeing them succeed and helping mm-hmm. them uh, succeed. And so the, it had shifted where there have been times where, yeah, like like I said, where I missed that, uh, that contact. Now I've kind of gotten into, I guess, a, um, uh, I would say maybe a bit of a, a happier place, like in each stage I have enjoyed, but now it's enjoying seeing my students succeed, my staff, you know, they're not going to stay forever. If they get a job that advances their career as a result of working in my research, I think that's fantastic. 
Excellent. It might have seemed like a strange question. And the reason I asked it is because part of what I'm looking at and don't die before you're dead is to try and inspire people to encourage people through examples like your own that, you know, the change might be a little bit challenging and you might be leaving some of those things behind. But you've already told us that in that adjustment that you've become happier in other things, that it's just, it's a, it's a different arena, but it's no less enjoyable than where you've been. And some people get stuck in these ruts and they don't choose to make a move for fear that um, they won't like it or it's going to be too much to do. But the joy of seeing uh, where that that effort is taking you. I'm glad you you mentioned that. Now, I had said we were going to talk about sleep because in order for us to live a good life, whether we're somewhat in the rut or whether we're trying to get the effort to move ahead, we need to be sure that our bodies are as fit as they can be. I know I've asked you about sleep. Your, your blogs also talk about good, healthy nutrition and the importance of exercise. But sleep seems to be a forgotten thing in it, from my experience. Now I'm by no means the expert, but do you see that? Do you see that people underrate the value of sleep? Yeah, I would most definitely say that they underrate it. I think that uh, people kind of take advantage of sleep or maybe lack of <laughs> sleep. I'm not sure how that would go, but there, there's definitely this. Um, and, and I would say, I'd say it's it's probably um, less so, but it's still around that people will take lack of sleep, working hard, long hours, even if they're not happy, as a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh well, you know, I, I I went to bed at midnight and I got up at four. You, you know, like like expressing it as in almost like a a competition with the people who are in that conversation. Mm-hmm. For me, I can definitely say that doesn't work for me. I, and, um, and that's one of the reasons I got into looking more at sleep because of there was definitely times that I was having um, uh, struggles or challenges with sleeping or sleeping quality sleep. And one of my friends, uh, and, and when you talk to people, it's, a, it's really helpful, I find, because at least the people I've talked to have all had the same type of problems. And then it's when that helps normalizing and that also helps to reduce that anxiety. But one of my friends calls it like you wake up in the middle of the night and the committee and the committee meets in your head. Yes. I think we know what that's all about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's a perfect example of what happened to me just last night or something like that. Yeah. So I do think that we, uh, as a society, take advantage of it and don't put the importance that it deserves right alongside healthy nutrition, physical activity, uh, managing our mental health. And all of these things are so connected. They're, they're not separate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, we tend to hear a lot more about the foods we eat, the diets or whatever you want to call them, our routines, our daily uh, regimen of preparing foods and eating. And we hear about how much we need exercise, but it's only fleeting comments about sleep. And I, I totally agree with you with regards to, you know, bragging about how you are managing on so little sleep, but are you managing well? 
Yeah. So exactly. one would think that perhaps our productivity, our our um, moods are like it, we are affected by the lack of sleep as much as we might brag, uh, brag that we're up and dressed and out the door. But how well are we doing that? Yeah, exactly. And I think that people, uh, a lot of people might be surprised at how interconnected our sleep, our activity and our, the food we eat uh, that how they're all related. For example, uh, there are, there are actually long-term health consequences of, of poor sleep and people who don't get enough sleep, what tends to happen and, and all of us are there at some point in, in time. And we, we start to, in those cases, it's not uncommon to actually take in more calories during those days of lack of sleep because our, our adrenaline's running, we need the energy to, to keep us going. And so people who are tired tend to eat more calories throughout the day to fight that fatigue. Conversely, what we eat can also, like shortly before our sleep, can affect our, our sleep sleep uh, as well. And then obviously, if we're tired, we're less likely to want to be physically active. But if you're tired during the day, it's probably better to get some activity to fight that fatigue so that when you do get to, to sleep later at night, you'll sleep more soundly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like how you point out the interconnectivity. It's very hard to separate because our bodies are a unified piece of machinery, if you will, and it needs all of those components to run well. Part of what I look at is um, the energy level or the activity level and tying in with the amount of sleep as we age. So people in their you know, mid to late 40s that are just getting through maybe raising the family and maybe the stresses of, you know, working extra hours at night, trying to get everything done when you've missed it through the day with the kids. Um, sometimes we don't start early enough paying attention to these things. So you talk about some of the studies that you do. Are some of them based on an age range or do you, are you finding that um, people who maybe wake up a little bit earlier in their lives they're they're connected to a better lifestyle later. Yeah. So in terms of the, the the actual research studies I've been involved in, most of them deal with that middle age to later age population uh, as well. And in those types of studies, they're what we call like observational studies. We ask people how much record when they went to bed, when they woke up, uh, or some means of self-report sleep, mm -hmm. and then. We might follow them for a long period of time over years or a decade and basically see, um, do people get sick? Do people die early? How does that relate to their sleep patterns? And it tends to, to be that there is a bit of a, a, a sweet spot for like people in middle age to around like seven, eight hours per, per night. People who sleep more, there tends to be an uh, association with earlier disease and earlier risk for, for death. Some of that though, because this is what we call like an observational or longitudinal study, these people could be sleeping more because they have some underlying illness already. Like if people who are, who are sick, we try to, to deal with that in our studies, but we can't mm -hmm. say that we're perfect at it. 
And then, um, then lack of sleep can also also be a an indicator, or more um, set people up for things like obesity and diabetes. Now, in um, kind of stuff that I've learned is we and we're pro- a lot of us have probably seen these articles about like oh like all successful people or get up early in the morning and, and <laughs> yeah. their work and, and stuff like that. So I've, um, so at first I was like kind of wondering, okay, that, okay. So the, this, this person's getting up at four 30, this person's getting up five, but it never talks about what time they go to bed. True. Or a lot of them, a lot of them don't. And, but really they're still getting the same amount of, of sleep. And uh, a lot of times that comes up, comes uh, the reason that works for some people, and I and I get up at around five thirty, so I'm usually start my kind of wind down period at nine at, at night. Mm-hmm. Is that um, a lot of us are are at our creative best early in the morning, or when we first get up? It doesn't necessarily have to be in the morning, and earlier in the morning ha- helps because that's we do, we don't have those distractions. So, you know, if let's say you're checking, you get into an office or you decide to check your email at nine o'clock, you could be spending like uh, quite a bit of time dealing with those dozens of emails or, or get distracted that way. Mm-hmm. You know, another way would be to say, put off those smaller tasks to, to later on. And I think there's that combination of making sure that you get into that sleep routine and then kind of how you focus your your day but a a big thing too that i've practiced and and learned is what we what's called social jet lag i saw that term and i was hoping you'd explain that because that's the first i had heard of that that's excellent yeah and so so we know jet lag if we fly across the country and it's different time zones well social jet lag is when basically you know, the most common thing is, okay, it comes to Friday, we'll stay up later at night because we know we don't have to, to work the next day or go to mm-hmm. school the next day. And then we stay in bed uh, maybe an hour, hour and a half later. Then Saturday night, because of that, we might extend it even a bit more. And then Sunday, we're getting up, you know, maybe two hours later than usual. Right there, that is the same thing as flying to another part of the country to another time zone. You've, you've started to put your body into a different time zone, but then you, you try to go back, go back to your routine Sunday night. You're not as tired, but you still have to get up early Monday morning and it takes you a couple days to, to adjust. So I can totally appreciate, you know, wanting to relax, stay up a, um, a bit more on the, on the weekend and maybe sleep in a bit. Um, but what that says, and especially, as you get into that middle age and later age, you start to feel those effects. So your Monday and Tuesday are kind of drained as you kind of switch your biological clock right. back to the, the your weekday time. And then you've got a few good days and then you tr- switch it back to your social <laughs> clock. It's going to be hard on the body. Yes. Is there any is there any truth to the statement that I heard years ago and with you doing a lot of research on, you know, heart disease and that falls into this, um, that 
primarily more heart attacks occur Monday mornings when people are waking up to alarms and heading off to someplace maybe they didn't really want to go. Is there any truth in that or is that just kind of a, an old wives tale? Well, there's, um, we probably see um, the, the research a bit more clearly around, uh, around like when we do change our clocks, more so in the springtime when we spring forward. Because we've lost the hour. Yeah, we've we've lost the hour. We we do see an uptake in um, definitely car accidents for sure, um, and there there might be some uptake in heart attacks as well because there's an increase in in when you're tired. It's like things can get on like it affects your mental. Um, ability you're easily stressed you're you're not as happy it's kind of the it's easier to explain the reverse is like when you get a good night's sleep you wake up and you feel like you can take on the world yes it's the exact opposite (laughs) (laughs) the world's going to take on you (laughs) yeah and then and then you know if you have like um if you're short on sleep one day and uh you might find things um, pressuring you or, or feeling stressed more so than you, you would. And then you get a good night's sleep that, that evening. And the next day you're thinking, wow, like that, such and such a thing, that's not so big of a deal now. Now the perspective changes because you're out of the fog. Like we jokingly talk about brain fog and it sounds a little like what you're describing. Yep. And I have heard the reports about the, you know, like the car accidents with the time changes. And I don't know about BC, but it's just been on the news recently. I'm in Ontario, obviously. And uh, that there is a motion to not get involved with the daylight savings time. And Quebec is discussing the same thing. And I think there it's depending on whether New York is going to do that. So it needs to be more collaboration. But I think maybe, I, I don't know uh, if this is true or not, but maybe the world of healthcare is behind that, saying that what we gain is not as much as what we lose from that process. Yeah, exactly. And I think historically, and I, I could be wrong, but I think historically the time change came into effect as kind of more energy savings as opposed to, um, to health and trying to make sure that the lighter parts of the day are during like the business mm-hmm, business mm-hmm. times. And, but what we have found is, as you said, is that it, it wrecks havoc on our system for definitely those first few days. It's not now in kind of our modern technology and how we manage our energy. It's not as energy uh, efficient. Right. Um, and, but it, it, the, and, and I'm well uh, aware of these discussions and I think they're going on everywhere. The interesting thing will be how they decide, because mm-hmm. I think most people would like to see it in such a way that it's like lighter when we get home from work. Right. So, um, what happens in the fall is we fall back. So it means that what was eight o'clock in the morning and is now the same, that brightness is at seven o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. Now sleep experts would say that you want the light in the morning 
And the reason for that is because even if you're even if you're tired, even if you've had a bad sleep, the best way to energize yourself after that is to expose yourself to natural light. And so the con- concern of, of keeping that the the summer time where is that you know it won't get especially in Canada where we're higher up in the north mm-hmm. it won't get as light until eight or eight thirty when mm-hmm. we've all started to get into our cars and drive drive around sure we might have an extra hour after work of brightness which as I said, most of us want because of it's our leisure time, but from our body's kind of biological clock, we need that exposure to natural light to get us charged up and give us that energy boost. I'm very much affected personally by the darkness of winter. I'm not a winter fan. I don't like getting up in the dark. I don't like coming home from work in the dark. And I rejoice on the 21st of December because in my warped thinking, that's the beginning of the end of winter because the days start getting longer and I measure them and I'm happy about that. So the light at the end of the day means a lot to me. And I certainly hope I'm not the only one that feels that way. So, um, you know, realizing that, you know, waking up in the morning and it, you know, how we feel about getting into our day sets the tone. I mean, we make all kinds of jokes about if you want a good start to your day, don't step on the scales. You know, it affects our mood. Well, getting out of bed in the morning and how we feel about that is so important because it's mood setters, right? Now, in your blog, you talk about... um, you know, what to do to, to kind of prepare for bed, to, you know, to establish some kind of a routine. So we're kind of telling ourselves that, okay, shut everything down. It's bedtime. Is routine that important for us as we, as we get ready for bed? Is that really a a, a very important part of the process? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I, um, I think, you know, when, when, we're younger, like it's teenagers or in our 20s and in our 30s and stuff, it's probably a bit easier to get away from routine. Um, but especially if, uh, if uh, as you pointed out, in that kind of middle age time of life and maybe a bit later, that we might be exposed to, to stresses of family life and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just busy and uh, it's kind of like for a lot of people, it's the peak of their career um, in, in a, are approaching that. And so there's a lot on, on people's plate, not to mention obviously what's going on right now with, um, you know, <laughs> trying to make health decisions every time you step out of the door. Right. Um, uh, so I, I think it's important to, to have that because our bodies do have that, biological clock it's almost like they're they've got their own mind outside of our own way uh, of thinking and so for for me like uh, my goal is to try to be asleep by 9 30 so I'm up at, at around 5 30 and so I try like for me I'll, I'll stop using screens by nine o'clock I'll have um I have a book that I'll I'll do some reading now. Some a lot of sleep experts will say if you're having trouble sleeping, 
to only sleep in your bed. Like don't do anything else in your bed. Don't read, don't even read in your bed. Don't bring any screens or watch TV Mm -hmm. in bed because you need to get your body to know that when it sees the bed and you're lying in the bed, it's time to shut down and not, um, not, uh, wind up. So those are the things. And, and I can tell, like, if I'm even watching something that's, you know, intense on television, you know, I have more vivid dreams. Like I'll still be asleep, but I'll wake up and I'm like, wow, what was going on there? And then I'll, I'll tie it to something that I, I watched on TV. Um, one thing for, for me, and I know I'm not the only one, is I would have, I used to have my work email on my phone and a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And I took it off because like I would use my phone for other things, just like everybody else does. Rarely do we use it for a phone. Um, <laughs> and I would see if there's a new email. And sometimes like if I'm reading, I've, I've had numerous times where I've read an email at like 8.30 or 9.00. Sometimes it's not necessarily the most polite email, um, but even if it's polite, it just gets my mind working and then yeah. I'll lie in bed thinking about it. So that was something that really helped for me is I'll, I just limit checking my email, um, you know, to, to work hours, give or take, you know, a couple hours after at the end of the, the workday if, if needed. But, you know, at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I'm not checking my email. And that's that's helped me a lot. A question for you with regards to, you know, like falling asleep is one thing and having the good routines to kind of help us say, OK, now it's bedtime. And there's so many things that are running through my mind right now to ask you. But waking up in the middle of the night, like toss and turn, toss and turn and watch the clock. And like it just is it. Is it advisable to just say, this is nuts, I might as well turn on the light and read until I'm tired and go back to sleep? Because that seems to me more productive than trying to fight it if you can't sleep. Yeah, that can be be very tempting. But what the light does is it actually uh, suppresses. So melatonin is is what does a number of things, but it's also considered the sleep hormone. and it uh, is affected by the light-dark cycle. And that's why, like, you might notice that in the summertime, you could probably get away with less sleep, uh, unplanned, Mm -hmm. just because you're exposed to natural sunlight for much longer during the day. You know, if you're in the wintertime, like, that could be a difference of half an hour to an hour for some people. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so what happens... So the sunlight, sunlight suppresses melatonin, as does um, physical activity. And so when there's when it's dark out, that's when our melatonin gets released, and that starts to set up a number of things related to winding our body down, getting ready for for sleep. If we turn that light on in the middle of the night, that can, you know, it's not going to be instantaneous, but that can actually, it will wake us up more than if, mm-hmm. we, were, if we were lying there. Uh, you know, I get up sometimes 
like I wake up in the in the middle of the night. Um, I will try to, and, and usually, you know, if if it's if it's a bump in the night type of thing, like a car going by, mm-hmm. we're probably all fine to get back to sleep. But if it's something that was kind of, you know, in the back of our mind, tickling our brain that we are working on, I don't know, like thinking about what to get your partner for Christmas or, or that presentation you're doing at work the next day or the exam yeah. you have as a student. And so those things can, can like I'll be susceptible and wake up. And sometimes I'll find that if I, like without turning lights on, I might just get up, go to the bathroom, have a drink of water and, and come back. What I try to, to do is and this is also what if you um, wake up in the middle of the night first don't worry about not sleeping because as soon as you start worrying about lack of sleep <laughs> you actually get even less sleep yes and any, and any yeah and any worry so you know different things will work for different people but this idea of counting sheep is is um, not so much that it gets us tired so much as it as it gets us away from thinking about what we're worrying about that might mm-hmm. keep us awake. So, you know, for some people, counting sheep might work. Others, um, sometimes I'll I might work on some silly like mathematical problem in my head, which which occupies my brain away from the worries that I might have that woke mm-hmm. me up and I'll soon tire of that and then just fall. So different things like some people might find thinking of like a, an image of a happy place and concentrating on that or, or just even that kind of mindfulness of not holding on to any thoughts, just letting them pass through mm-hmm. now. And you'll, you'll find that you're, you'll just go back to, to sleep. And then when you wake up is, is not to, beat yourself up over lack of sleep and worrying about it for for the whole day and i know that both from um, my professional experience but also personal experience it does no good and just kind of saying to yourself you'll get through the day and everything will be fine and you'll have another chance to to get a good night's sleep later so it doesn't become too cyclical that you're worried about not sleeping. So you're not sleeping. So you're worried about not sleeping and it just exactly. perpetuates, right? We had friends that used to come to our place and about nine o'clock in the evening, I mean, like a weekend and they sitting around for a few minutes saying, okay, well, what are we going to watch? What movie, what show, whatever. Right. So collectively, and you have guests, so you kind of give some leeway uh, and they, you know, collectively you decide, okay, we're going to watch this show. And they might have a stronger preference. Well, within five, ten minutes of the show starting, they drifted off. So you sit there watching this show, and at 11 o'clock, they wake up. They're raring to go. They're hungry. They're in the kitchen. They want to eat, and you're done. And so it's uh, sometimes it's the company we keep and what, uh, what happens in our lives. So um, for them, it, it's kind of it always amazed me that we used to call it their pre-sleep sleep. But they, and then, of course, they were up at six in the morning, but that would seem to be their routine. So perhaps even if it's not so healthy, not so good, as opposed to saying it's bad, if it's a regular routine, it would work. Yeah. And, and I think like so in some of those studies that have actually sleep studies that have actually looked at napping. 
have found that napping, if you add in the nap time to the total, to the sleep evening time, if that gets in that seven to eight hour range, that seems okay. Now that can, that doesn't seem, that can be helpful. Now, napping can also be a sign of, of somebody who's already ill, maybe doesn't know it, but you can imagine certain, obviously, um, very different chronic diseases or ailments will make us tired and so mm-hmm. we'll nap during the day. So that's a totally, totally different thing. Right. But, but this notion of the, like the siesta, that's part of um, like Spanish um, cultures, some Latin cultures can actually, like it's fine. Like, so they might get six hours of sleep at night, but have a couple hours during the day. And that doesn't seem to, to be, as uh, detrimental as as first thought and i think you're right about the the routine like my wife and i are on different routines so one of the reasons i get up early is because i like having like a an hour or two before the rest of the house gets up Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's it's kind of i'm a morning person without being a morning person so i like getting up (laughs) but i don't really want to engage in conversation right away Uh yeah and um, it was actually quite helpful because we recently got back in June, we got kittens. And so they weren't sleeping very long at any given time. So I had the morning shift and my wife would, would be up till around 11 or midnight. And I, so she would have the evening shift to to take care of them because yeah they still were for a few months pretty needy mm-hmm. and so that that actually worked out worked out well and um and we continue continue to do that i get up and then they're used to know that i'm the one who's going to give them breakfast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh yeah so i i do think so in in that case it's it's not like um you know, one of us is doing better because of the time of day we're going to sleep and waking up. It's the routine that, mm-hmm. you know, if I, if she woke up at like 5.30 or 6, she wouldn't be as sharp. Uh, and just like, you know, for sure at 10.30, I'm not very sharp at all. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously you found what works for you. And I guess that's an important aspect is being able to you know, know for us ourselves what works. I have a tendency to want to watch TV in the evening more than I should. And I've realized that instead of just saying, okay, I'm done, I should go to bed, I'm tired. I tend to sleep through the last show and I've slept through some of my favorite shows and go like, this is crazy. I wake up to go to bed. Um, Fortunately, I have not had sleep issues. I've been very fortunate in my life that I can fall asleep fairly anywhere, anytime, easily. And, you know, I've done my all night exam studying and marking and stuff like that. Couldn't do it today. So age kind of changes that. Those challenges that you could, you know, you could cope for a little bit of staying up all night. And now maybe I'm wiser. Maybe I think it's it's no reason to. So maybe I plan my life a little bit better. But there's there's something that you had mentioned as well in terms of getting too much sleep. And that can be almost as detrimental in some cases as not having enough. Yeah, so that's 
that's hard to you know, hard to actually study to really answer that question. It's easy to sleep deprive people in research. You just wake them up. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so it's, it's really hard to know if we're kind of, when we're seeing people who may be sleeping like 10, 11 hours during each day, um, some of these people might have some underlying disease. In some cases, in some of the studies we, we know, and what we try to do is we try to remove those people with existing illnesses from, from the, the research. But you know whether it's heart disease, cancer, kidney issues, there's always what we call this preclinical stage. And all that mm-hmm. means is that's the disease happening without anybody knowing it's happening. So it's not when somebody has a heart attack that their disease starts. It's usually um, could be as early as in their 20s uh, mm-hmm. or in their 30s that the process is there. And um, it's so it can be a marker for somebody being something not right as opposed to it's actually making the person sick. And, and as I said, it's really hard to, to study because we we can't naturally get people sleeping longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But shortening their sleep is definitely something easy. Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's plenty of studies <laughs> where you where you have like I've never done these, but their sleep researchers will have rooms where they can control the lighting, um, and so that uh, they have lights on to make sure people stay awake. And then you know they'll do anything. They'll study things from how much they eat to how their um, mental performance is. Mm -hmm. I have, uh, in the past, um, I was working as a cost account for a car dealership in one of my earlier careers before I took up teaching. And I found it always kind of amazing that some of my best problem-solving situations came as a result of a good night's sleep that you know there's there's specific places that you go look for solutions in in most careers and so you've got this situation luckily for me usually it was my books didn't balance but I never touched the money so I wasn't concerned about you know where the cash went but it wasn't recorded properly but sometimes I would find that in uh a well-rested good night's sleep, I'd wake up in the morning with almost a, a sense of saying the, the problem was there and I could go find a place I hadn't looked before. And ultimately it, it was proving to be very well. Um, but that was the result usually of a really good sleep. Yeah. And, and I think that it definitely obviously um, uh, sharpens our mind. There's a lot of biological processes that happen in our body while we're sleeping that don't happen during the day. A lot of recovery um, processes in our body, in our mind, and that helps. And it also like kind of provides us with some distance from the, um, from the problem that we're, we're dealing with. And one of the things that actually made me um, remember when you're, when you're mentioning about that is get, getting back to the, to like if waking up in the middle of the night and kind of, ruminating still on that problem and uh, having like a, a pad and pen or a notebook, not your phone because the, <laughs> yeah, the light the will light. actually, yeah. <laughs> um, 
And because some of it, some of the times could be a case that you've, you've come up with this solution and you're worried that you're going to forget it. Forget it, yes. And so <laughs> if you write it down, then you can allow that to disappear. Or even if it's a worry or, or something, if you write it down and uh, let it sit so that when you wake up a few hours later, that it's there and you don't have to worry that you've lost it. I've actually written on my hand in the dark. I couldn't find that. I found a pen. Not something I would recommend because reading was a challenge in the morning, but uh, just the fact yeah. of doing that process probably solidified the memory. But uh, so, yeah. uh, Scott, we're, we're kind of at a place where to wrap up here. What would you like to leave as, as sort of like the big takeaway or, or something that's uh, really important? I, I mentioned your blog. Uh, I think there's incredible information there, and I would certainly, you know, suggest people go there. Um, what else would you think in terms of people wanting to get out there and live a healthy lifestyle? What would be kind of like your, your big suggestion for people to wake up and be more aware of perhaps? Oh, geez. There, there's a few. Well, speaking about sleep, like uh, in line with our conversation, I, I think it is a foundation for how our day can can go. And you know, if we're if we're not getting sufficient sleep, if the chat if somebody's having mental health challenges or challenges with um, being regularly active or, or anything else, it's going to make those things so much more difficult to uh, achieve. And um, getting out of getting out of the bed and and realizing that you know even if you're even if you are tired, you know you got out of bed, you you your your day is still going to to be fine. And other you know. I would like, I find it helpful. Um, I was for to be regularly active. One of my physical activity researcher colleagues said um, promotion in physical activity is actually promotion in mental health wellness mm -hmm. because, as we've talked about, too, it connected. So I think that um, uh, those things, and, and one little last tip because you, because when we were talking earlier about it, and I, I won't take this tip as my own and I can't remember if it was on reading the book Atomic Habits or, or uh, something else but um, I, I have an email or a calendar message every single morning that um, comes up at seven in the morning and it just says make decisions that make you happy oh I like that and and, and what it what it um, does is when we're making decisions we often forget to factor in how it will make us feel. And not every time will we have a decision where we're going to be happy regardless of the outcome. <laughs> True. And not every time do we have great control. But if you can, if you're having, you know, if you're weighing two options and you're not sure which is the better one, you know, I, I found just taking a step back and think, which one will you enjoy the most? And sometimes that can tip the balance. And it's, it's amazing how there's been a few times where it's tipped the balance in a different way for me. And I felt good about that. That is, uh, that's really good tip to end on. Um, you know, Scott, we are people who maybe don't think 
put enough distance in our decision making. It's too, you know, too spontaneous, too rash. But, you know, how we feel about it in the long run. And that's exactly where I'd like people to be in terms of are they living the life they were meant to live? You know, because if you get to be 75, 80, I mean, the finish line is on the horizon. There's not a whole lot that we can do differently at that point. But if we start now and say, okay, I want to be able to sleep better, eat better, move better, take care of my body so I can do those things. So I've so appreciated you taking the time to be here. And let's see, where can they find your blog again? Yeah, so it's drscottlear.com. I also can be found on Twitter at Dr. Scott Lear. And uh, so those would be two ways people want to um, see about the stuff that I'm doing and engage with me. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much. I know being a professor involved in research, how incredibly busy, but you're working on very important information and thank you for taking the time to share that with us and uh, i look forward to reading more of your blogs i'll certainly subscribe and be following because um yeah i need to be more aware because i can only talk about it for so long without uh, feeling that i need to be actually you know taking the advice and implementing it so thank you for your time and uh, in closing let me just say uh thank you for listening to don't die before you're dead i'm mary mccartney and we dare you to live the life you were meant to live Take care till next time.